0: Well, hello and welcome to Living with Hospice. My name is Mitch Ware and I'll be your host today along with, well, the whole gang is here today. Cosmo, the Alaskan Husky slash Irish Wolfhound mix. Chloe, the rare female orange cat, is on top of her condo right now looking down on us. And, of course, the presiding mayor of our neighborhood, Charlie, the white and black old tomcat sitting here on the counter, making sure I don't mess this up too much. So come on in, grab some coffee, and let's chat about something most of us encounter every single day of our lives, and that's dementia. Before we start, let me clarify. I am not a doctor. I am not a nurse. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a medical professional. I am a longtime volunteer and I've been through caregiving as a father and a son, and I meet with dementia patients every week in my capacity of being a hospice volunteer. As I volunteer, I've had the pleasure of receiving special training on how to deal with people who are suffering from dementia, and I want to share some of that with you today. So, what is dementia exactly? The word dementia describes a set of symptoms that may include memory loss and difficulties with thinking in general, even things like problem solving or language. Dementia is caused when the brain is damaged by disease, such as, well, Alzheimer's is a very common one, or it could be damaged by a series of little strokes. Dementia is a collective term, sort of an umbrella term used to describe a variety of different symptoms from cognitive decline. It is a symptom of several underlying diseases or brain disorders. Dementia is not a single disease in and of itself, but it's a general term to describe all these symptoms of impairment in, well, like we said, memory, communication, and just overall thinking. Is dementia the same as Alzheimer's? No, but Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. A lot of people use those terms Alzheimer's and dementia interchangeably, and they are not. Alzheimer's disease is a degenerative brain disease, and it is one of the most common forms of dementia. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go into a lot of clinical medical speak here, and I promise to keep it as simple and as plain as I can. After all, if you're here listening to this, you or your loved one have already been diagnosed with dementia and have probably had this explained to you already. But for the rest of us, let's just keep it simple and say the medical professionals tell us that dementia progresses in three basic stages. There's the mild early stage, moderate middle stage, and severe late stage. The progression of dementia can vary widely by the type of dementia and by the person. Doctors can explain more about this and they discuss the specific type of dementia your loved one has. Understanding the type of dementia that you're dealing with can help guide care needs as the disease progresses. So, We are in hospice care for whatever reason, and we are caregiving for someone who also has dementia. Let's take a look at what to expect with the dementia issue. Medical professionals tell us there are several things to look for and ways to respond. First, set a positive mood for interaction. Your attitude and your body language communicate your feelings and your thoughts way more strongly than your words do. Set a positive mood by speaking to your loved one in a pleasant and respectful manner. Use facial expressions, tone of voice, and physical touch to help convey your message, and show your feelings of affection. Number two, get the person's attention. Limit distractions and noise, turn off the radio or the television or the cell phone, close the curtains or shut the door, or move to a quieter area. Before speaking, make sure you have their attention. Address them by name, identify yourself by name, and share with them how you are a relative of theirs or a great friend of theirs, old buddies, that kind of thing use nonverbal cues and touch to help keep that person focused if they're seated get down on their level maintain eye contact number 3 state your message clearly use simple words and sentences speak slowly distinctly and in a reassuring tone if they're hard of hearing you may have to raise your voice if He doesn't or she doesn't understand the first time what you're trying to say. Use the same wording to repeat your message or question. If they still don't understand, wait a few minutes and rephrase the question or comment. Use names of people and places instead of pronouns, like he, she, or they, or abbreviations. Keep it simple. Number four, ask questions that are easily answered. Refrain from asking open-ended questions, or giving too many choices. For example, I ask my patients, what kind of music do you like? And I try to allow them to tell me, and if I see that they're struggling with that, then I start offering suggestions like, do you like contemporary music? Do you like rock and roll? Do you like hymns? Do you like country music? Do you like classical music? I let them tell me with their body language. Listen with your ears. Open your eyes. Listen to that little voice inside of you as you're watching them. Be patient in waiting for your loved one's reply. This is number five. If they're struggling for an answer, it's okay. Suggest words. Watch for nonverbal cues. Watch for body language. And respond appropriately in kind. Always strive to listen for the meaning and the feelings that underlie their words. Number six, break down activities into a series of steps. If you're going to have an activity time with your loved one, this makes many tasks much more manageable. You can encourage your loved one to do what they can, gently remind them of steps that they tend to forget, and assist them in these steps. Using visual cues such as showing them with your hands where to place the dinner plate or how to pick up the fork. Those kinds of things can be very helpful. Number seven, when the going gets rough, distract and redirect. If your loved one becomes upset or agitated, try changing the subject. For example, ask them, For help and suggest going maybe for a walk. It's important to connect with the person on a feeling level before you redirect. You might say, you know, I see you're feeling sad today. I'm sorry you're upset. Let's go get something to eat. Help them get their mind off of whatever is that's upsetting them. Number eight, respond with affection and reassurance. People with dementia often feel confused and anxious and are unsure of themselves. Further, they often get reality confused and may recall things, well, that never really happened. Avoid trying to convince them that they're wrong. That is one of the biggest mistakes and one of the most common mistakes we all make. Stay focused on the feelings that they're demonstrating, which are real to them and respond with verbal and physical expressions of comfort. Be supportive. Reassure them. Sometimes small things like holding their hand or touching maybe their elbow or their shoulder or giving them a hug or praise will get the person to respond when all else fails. Number nine, remember the good old days. Remembering the past is often a soothing and affirming activity. Many people with dementia cannot tell you what happened five minutes ago. They they can't point you to the bathroom, and they can't tell you what they had for breakfast. They may not even know exactly where they're at, but boy, they can clearly recall their lives, say, 50 years ago. Therefore, avoid asking questions that rely on short-term memory, such as, Asking the person what they had for lunch or did they watch the big ball game last night on TV? And golly, what did you think of that outcome? Number 10, maintain your sense of humor. Use humor whenever possible, though not at the person's expense, but try to find something funny, maybe something that happened to you today, something to bring a chuckle to their face as well. People with dementia tend to retain their social skills and are usually delighted to laugh along with you. I use it all the time, and I'm always the brunt of my own humor. Sometimes, actually very often, a person with dementia gets very frustrated. Their happy-go-lucky or mild demeanor changes. They get irritable. They can lash out. They can say things that are very, very hurtful. I went to spend some time with my 97-year-old mom a few years back. She was experiencing middle to severe dementia. When I arrived that day, she was asleep. I gently greeted her. I said, Mom, Mom, it's Mitch. I'm here. Hello, Mitch is here. She turned and she went, Oh, boy. And then she looked at my face and it was a look on her face that i'd never seen before she said you're not mitch i said well yeah yes mom it's me it's uh it's your son mitch and i reached to touch her shoulder she quickly knocked my hand away and before it even reached her shoulder she she slapped my face with fire in her eyes she said you get away from me and i i was i was floored my heart sank I said, "Mom, it's me, Mitch." I even tried a joke. I said, "Mom, I'm it's Mitch, your favorite son, remember?" She glared at me and said, "You are not Mitch. Get out of my room right now." She then rolled over away from me and pretended to go to sleep. Wow. What happened? Oh my goodness. This was just horrible for me. And I'll never forget it if I live to be 300. My own mom all of a sudden doesn't know me. She slaps me. She thinks I'm somebody that's there to do harm. What do I do? How do I process this? My first thought was to try to convince her I'm her son. We were very close. I didn't get perspective. I I should have realized that mom had a brain disorder. She had dementia. And that shapes her reality. That's her reality. When you try to control or change somebody's behavior that's struggling with dementia, you'll most likely be unsuccessful or be met with resistance or both. And it's not an argument you're ever going to win. All you're going to do is exacerbate the situation and make it worse. It's important to try to accommodate that behavior, not control that behavior. When I first encountered her that day, I should have said, Hi, Mom, it's Mitch. And when she said, you're not Mitch, I could have diffused the frustration by asking questions like, did you see the birds at your feeder right now? Aren't they beautiful? Or aren't you glad that you're inside as it's really cold and snowing out there today? Can you see that out the window, mom? My mom was a Southerner. She hated winter. Believe me, she hated winter. Try to accommodate the reality that your loved one is in. Don't argue. Don't try to debate you can't win. And all you're going to do is add to their frustration and your, your own as well. Remember that you cannot change what your loved one is thinking or the reality that they're in. But we can change our behavior. Instead of being frustrated, we change our own behavior to result in coming into that person's reality. For example, If I engage someone who has dementia and they're angry about something like, I don't know, politics or the stock exchange or something that uh, someone said earlier today or whatever, I often ask them a thought-provoking question and get onto another page, so to speak. I had a patient that loved to complain about everything and everyone. He was a great guy. But as his disease progressed, he got crabbier and crabbier. I found a few subjects that he really liked and were pretty neutral and things that he's known and talked about his whole life. One was a local high school football team. It was his alma mater. Now, this team, I can tell you, is a perennial powerhouse. So when he got a little worked up about something like, I don't know, politics, I think it was, I would interrupt him and say, hey, John. Well, John's not his real name, but it, we'll just use that. How are those Wildcats doing? Regardless of the time of year, his face would break into a huge smile, and he kind of nod his head yes, and and he would start singing the praises of that program, that whole athletic program in general. And he'd tell me how the coaches work with the kids, and, and they work with them on their schoolwork during the, the summer, and how they stress fundamentals and he would explain to me that they kept simple tough hard-nosed practices going with blocking and tackling and doing everything right and of course he'd always tell me you know we don't pass the ball there because one of three things happen when you throw the football and two of those three aren't good <laughs> And I think he borrowed that from Ohio State legend Woody Hayes. And if I remember correctly, Coach Hayes borrowed it from somebody else from way back. But we'll we'll give uh, Coach Hayes the credit for that one. <laughs> and so when I brought that up, it would change whatever he was thinking at the time, whatever he was upset about, to something really in his wheelhouse, something that he related to, something that kind of calmed him. At the same time, it energized him, but in a positive way, he would often tell me the same story and over and over again, like it was brand new information and I would sit there and and let him tell me and and I would be interested I would legitimately try to get into the story as if it's the first time that he ever told me, and I smile and i I try to enjoy those stories as much that would 15th or 16th time he'd tell me as I did the very first time he told me. So the key here is to climb into their reality. It's okay. You will see a happier loved one. And then that is much better for you too. It helps you stay happy. Sometimes the frustration or anger being acted out is a symptom of something else going on. Like pain, for example. Depending on the level of dementia... People with dementia may behave in well, strange ways. Like someone taking everything out of the closet on a daily basis. And and they take the clothes and they make piles on the bed and in their minds, well, they need to do something. Or maybe it's summer and and they want to change out their winter clothes and that's what's going through their mind. It's summer. I need to swap out my winter clothes. And so they're acting this out day after day after day after day. Or it could be something like washing all the silverware over and over and over again. Try to take into consideration the need of the person as they might have to be doing whatever it is they're doing. Jump into that reality. Don't scold. Don't punish for this behavior. Don't say what's wrong with you. Don't Be an alarmist. That sort of response is always poorly received and will often trigger a negative response in them. Be gentle. Speak in a soothing voice and allow your loved one to tell you if she or he is able to speak and and communicate. Let them tell you what they're doing. More often than not, these behaviors are harmless. Of course, if it's something that's dangerous, like leaving the gas burners on and the stove or something like that, well, then that's a whole nother deal. And I recommend you get your hospice office involved immediately. The solution you use to handle a, a situation like this may not work tomorrow. And what I mean by that is you may have to get creative to get a desired effect day after day. Something I see a lot is People with dementia often wander around. I've been in lots and lots of facilities. In almost every single facility, there are patients just walking the halls or driving their wheelchairs up and down the halls, almost nonstop. Well, this happens for a variety of reasons. I think the most common is just boredom. Of course, it could be a side effect for medication or something like that. Discovering the triggers for wandering are not always easy, but they can provide insights to dealing with the behavior. There's some other tips that we can follow to help calm our loved ones who are suffering with irritability or angst from their dementia condition. Start by reducing noise. Remove clutter or the number of persons in the room at any given time. Each of these are stimulants and can cause anxiety. Make and keep the same routines, keep household objects and furniture in the same places. Familiar objects and photographs can offer a sense of security and can suggest pleasant memories, especially things that go way back, something that doesn't require short-term memory but is found in the long-term memory. Try to reduce caffeine intake, reduce sugar, and other foods that cause spikes in energy And trigger irritability. Try a gentle touch. Soothing music is good too. Maybe there's a a nice book of poetry or or a story that person likes. Read it to them. And if they're able to get up and, and walk, take a walk. That often helps quell agitation. Let them get outside and hear the birds and see the squirrels running around. Always speak in a reassuring voice. Don't try to restrain the person verbally or even especially not physically during a period of agitation. Don't try to debate them. Don't try to argue with them. And whatever you do, keep dangerous objects out of reach. Allow the person to do as much for him or herself as possible. Support their independence and ability to care for themselves. Acknowledge the confused person's anger over the loss of control in their life. Tell them you understand and want to help with their frustration. When loved ones act out, distract the person with a snack or an activity. Allow them to forget the troubling incident or maybe it was triggered by a a memory. Confronting a confused person again usually will backfire. It's going to increase anxiety. Dementia can be a very complicated situation to live with and to deal with. And in this episode, we've really just scratched the surface. Your hospice nurse or doctor, and certainly the counselor and therapist, is your best resource for getting assistance and more in-depth information about your loved one's specific type of dementia. Before we wrap this up, Let me share a little story with you. As you know, our son Matt was in an inpatient hospice facility here in our community for the last six weeks or so of his life. Across the hall from him was an Irish priest, and this priest was suffering from dementia as well as late-stage cancer. Often he would waltz into Matt's room with a huge smile on his face and greet each and every single person in the room. And he had this really awesome Irish brogue. He'd introduce himself to, like I said, to everybody in the room and then go over and chat with Matt. And they actually became fast friends. Every once in a while, we would look out Matt's window and there the lovely old priest would be walking down the driveway out towards the busy main road. So one of us, usually me, would run out after him. I'd catch up to him and I'd ask him, It's a beautiful day for a walk, Father, but where are you headed? There's some very fresh, right-out-of-the-oven chocolate chip cookies back in Matt's room. Would you like to come join me and have a few? He would almost always say, Well, I've got to get back downtown, lad. Evening mass, you know. They'll miss me if I'm not there. (laughs) I'd then remind him. Hey, we have fresh out-of-the-oven chocolate chip cookies, Father. And I really think we should go back and have some while they're still hot. (laughs) His eyes would light up. He'd always accepted my invitation. So we'd turn around and we'd just leisurely stroll back inside and enjoy a few of those fresh out-of-the-oven chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) This facility was not set up properly for memory patients at the time. And it was brand new. Shortly thereafter, though, they installed all the uh, modern electric locks. and, And so this sort of thing can't happen again. You know, the good father, he just tickled me. And as he transitioned from reality to his own alter reality, he still loved us. He was true to his calling. He had a pastor's heart. We weren't even Catholic. But that didn't matter to him. He made a point of going room to room, and introduce himself nearly every single day. He would ask how everyone's doing and how he could specifically pray for every single person. That really made an impression on me. He did make one complaint, however. <laughs> one time as we were walking back down the hall, he said, Mitch, my lad, you know, I've been coming here once a month faithfully to visit these poor souls, and I haven't seen a red scent from these folks I I don't know what these big hospitals are turning into. <laughs> I said, "Hey father, guess what? There's some fresh out of the oven chocolate chip cookies in the room. What say we go have ourselves a couple and watch the tigers?" "Oh, thank you, lad. Don't mind if I do." <laughs> and off we went. Thanks for spending your time with us again today. If you have questions about dementia or any other medical questions, ask your hospice provider for more information. And they're there to serve you. And they look forward to serving you. They look forward to answering your questions. They look forward to your comments and to your feedback, just like we do. You can also, of course, send your questions and comments to me, right here at livingwithhospice at gmail.com. That's livingwithhospice, all one word, at gmail.com. And who knows, we may answer your question or share your comment in an upcoming episode. Until next time, I'm Mitch Ware for Living With Hospice. Have a blessed day.